this is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. When you need your code to be reliable, Honey Badger helps with uptime monitoring and contextualized error messages to save you time and money. Get started on Honey Badger today and get a 30% discount by mentioning ChaosCast when you sign up at honeybadger.io. Today, so pleased to have a great panel and a great guest. This is Matt Broberg. I work at Red Hat and I'm part of the maintainer community for the Value Working Group. And Armstrong, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Matt. My name is Armstrong Fondium, a research associate with the NIST lab at Queen's University. I'm also with the Evolution Working Group at Kios. And Nicole? So great to be here. My name is Nicole Huseman. I work at Intel. I dove into open source and open source communities about a decade ago and have worked in open source in many different ways, always on the community and developer advocacy side of life. Oh, perfect transition. Thank you, Armstrong and Nicole, for being here. And to roll right into our guest, Mary Thingball, would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. So I am the director of developer relations at an open source company called Kamunda. We are a process automation company, we're open core, and we're doing a lot of really cool things with developer relations program there. I've been on board for about nine months, building out the team, starting a lot of kind of initiatives and processes around that, and just supporting the open source growth that we've had for several years now already. I've been involved in developer relations, community building for a variety of technical communities for about 10 years, 11 years now. And just really love helping people figure out, you know, how do we connect, right? How do you find the right people to connect with? How do you bring value to that that technical audience and present that feedback that you're getting from the community in a way that we can really apply back into the, the product to bring business value to the company as well as value to the community? Yeah, I'd be remiss not to mention that you're also the author of The Business Value of Developer Relations, which uh, by my measure is like the quintessential book on the subject that we're covering today. So if you are interested in Devrel and you haven't already picked that up, completely shameful promotion, please go buy that. But maybe with that, like Mary, give us a little, for those that are less familiar with it, you talked about some of the complexities of building a team, but what is Devrel in general, for those that are kind of understand organizational charts and, you know, what kind of work we do in the tech space, but what is DevRel in your own words? Sure. So I like to break it down in its simplest form as really developer relations is community building for a technical audience. I view communities as a group of people who share common principles, but also really develop and share practices that help individuals in the group thrive. So people who are really gathering around particular topics and are giving back to each other, whether through feedback, in the cases of developers and technical folks, it's often sample applications or sharing best practices, things like that. And then developer relations as a whole, as far as a business function, can kind of sit between product and marketing and customer support, also helps out with sales as we're driving awareness of the product. 
We aren't responsible for sales numbers, obviously, but really just kind of a combination of awareness of the products and what we make available to people, the solutions we make available to a technical audience, as well as enablement, making sure that people are able to use our products and have the best experience possible. And then engagement, that they're engaging with each other, sharing those best practices, but also engaging back with the company. So whether that's with the developer relations team or community contributed content, helping with use cases, things like that, all the way on up to, you know, we'll connect people with the sales team once they're ready to transition from maybe the open source product into the enterprise version. Absolutely. That's really helpful to see and or to hear and kind of see it in perspective of the different organizational units that you touch. And it seems to span the gamut in a way that, you know, some of the open source projects we talk about on this podcast, they generally do as well. It doesn't just sit in one space because it is both this public facing marketing effort along with very technical needs, along with an audience that needs customer support and engineering support. We're really going to dive into the metrics behind it today, both what works not well at all, as well as the things that do tend to work well. And I definitely lead the witness in the show notes with that, with the not working well, because Mary and I have talked about this at length, as many of us have on the show. (laughs) So DevRel metrics, you know, when I first say it out loud, Nicole, I know your background is deep in this as well. Like, what do you think when, when we try to dive into this meaty topic? I'd love to hear from Mary. And I have these real-time conversations going on, right, where it's a really unique position and role that you've described. And oftentimes, folks may want to apply traditional marketing metrics to this role, and that doesn't really work. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe why that is and dive into that a little bit with us? Absolutely. So it's interesting. I think we've kind of found ourselves believing this saying that, you know, well, developers hate marketing. They hate sales. It's like, well, no, that doesn't actually get to the heart of what we're talking about, right? None of us like to feel like we're being sold to. None of us like to actively know that we're being marketed to as we're being marketed to, right? Those are the ads that we tend to skip past on social media. Those are the phone calls that we pick up and the person, like the automated voice has already started before you even say hello and you just hang up your phone, right? Versus show me the actual value that you're providing. And so I think so often the traditional marketing tactics don't work with developers because we don't have tech savvy people on traditional marketing teams. And so there's been this transition over the last few years as we've gotten so many more, you know, developer-facing startups, developer-facing companies that have really risen in the ranks where the marketing teams are finally starting to say, okay, hang on, we need tech-savvy people on our teams. We need technical writers on our teams. We need people who understand this audience. And so that's made a huge, a huge difference for a handful of companies. And you can really start to see which companies have started to adopt that mindset of, you know, we need people who understand this audience on, on our team and creating this content. The marketing metrics like page views, click-through rates, leads, like you mentioned, Nicole, those are difficult because so much of developer relations really is building those relationships, right? It's that relations part of the word. 
And so one of my favorite articles about community metrics in general, and I'll send the, the link over so we can have it in the show notes, but it goes into this analogy of, you know, as you're building a relationship, just in your normal personal life, you aren't keeping track of, you know, the number of coffees that we had or the amount of money I spent on the lunch that we had where you forgot your wallet and I happened to, you know, spot you the money for it. So you're building these relationships. And at the end of the day, you hit this certain point where you're sitting there going, oh, this person's now, you know, one of my closest friends. And you don't turn to them and say, you know, Amy, you're now my closest friend and it's taken $43 of coffee dates and $20 of lunches and three meals shared at your home to get there. And therefore that's the templates you make friends, right? Like the exactly. $40 and <laughs> you know, so many coffees. Right. And that's just, it's not the way that it works. And so developer relations kind of takes that, you know, solid marketing of here's the value that we can offer you. Here's the solutions that we offer and matches that up with the people who are actually building those relationships. So you've got developers now, developer advocates typically on the developer relations team who are then working with developers or technical folks in the audience saying, cool, here's your specific scenario. Here's ways that we can help. Here's things that we can do. Here's other ways that you might not have thought of yet that you can use our product. And they're building those relationships, which oftentimes doesn't necessarily mean that the person will wind up using your product. Because the thing that that person, the developer advocate is really trying to do is build that relationship and solve the problem so that that audience has the best experience possible And it may be at the end of the day that they don't need your product. They need a completely different product. But that's not something that a marketing individual is ever going to say, right? It goes against their very being of why they do their job if their job is driven toward leads and click-through rates and page views because you're segmenting off people to go to a different product entirely, maybe a competitor, but you're still building those relationships. And the reason why that's so valuable or one of the reasons why it's so valuable is that those people that you build those relationships with will remember those conversations. They'll remember you as the person who constantly wants to help, who constantly wants to provide quality content for them. And so at the end of the day, if they have a problem that your product can actually solve, they'll come back to you because they know they can trust you to lead them in the right direction. So one question to push on something I heard. I heard that, you know, it is not transactional. Like DevRel is not transactional and it's not necessarily templatized. Like you can't take one person's way of connecting and then apply it to the next and say that it's going to work. So how do you handle the organization that is so used to trying to build like these metaphorical engines everywhere? Like what is a marketing machine, if not a really bad analogy? in saying like people are funneling into this. And by the way, I have, I'm a beloved marketer. I love marketing. It's a fascinating practice, but like we still use a funnel as the primary metaphor of how people get into an organization or sales love to build sales engines where you put in some gas and some money pops out. So how do you try to explain DevRel from a data perspective if you don't have the same like easy metaphor available to you? Absolutely. So I think there's two different things that I really look to. One is, are there analogies that are being used that I can kind of 
connect to, right? Are there systems already in place that I can go, hey, we do something similar to that. Let me expand on that understanding and, and help you understand how we're doing that as well. So one of those things is DevRel qualified leads or community qualified leads. And it's the idea that, you know, you take that understanding of quote unquote qualified leads, which is normally marketing qualified leads for, you know, people passed off to sales at a certain point in time. And you expand that, that definition of leads to be anyone who can provide value to the company. And that's not necessarily someone you're going to be passing off to sales, though it could be, but it could also be a community member who, you know, just published a client library and you want to ask them if they can do a blog post. And so you pass them off to marketing as a qualified lead of this is someone who could write some community contributed content for us or to product to pass off some really in-depth feedback so that you aren't the middle person sitting there going, okay, hang on, let me translate that and pass it along. Like, no, let me just make the introduction and pass them off. So that's, that's kind of the first way that I've seen has been really effective is go, okay, what's the, what's the already understood business term that I can kind of tweak just a little bit for my use. The other thing that I've seen probably in this past year, I think, is a model that has come out from a team of three different people and it's called the orbit model. And they have this idea that, like you said, Matt, you know, funnels aren't an effective way to track people through a system. And it's really more about the, the gravity that they have and what they bring to, to this picture. And so they have this, this philosophy that when someone joins your circle of influence that the product has, they bring their own circle of influence with that. They bring their own orbit with them, right? So you've got their, the amount of love that they have for your product, as well as the realm of influence that they have and that they can bring with them. And so based on that formula, that determines their, you know, quote unquote gravity or how close they are to your team and kind of how you rank them as a poor word for it, but for lack of a better term right now, how you rank them as far as your people in your system, right? Who's really connected to what we're doing. And so it's this fascinating idea of, you know, you're looking at not only how connected is that person, how often are they submitting pull requests or issues? How often are they communicating on the issues and leaving their feedback or in the forums and helping other people out? but also what's their sphere of influence so that you can start to build, you know, here's our top 20 people that we go to before a new launch or to get feedback on a beta product or something like that to give you a better idea of who your key people should be and how, how you can kind of build your quote unquote inner circle of community members who can give that really valuable feedback. That is super fun. Two really uh, apt metaphors, like the gravity one's a blast. But I, I also know, like you started the community qualified lead movement there, and on your website you list how you know for marketing, connecting to marketing, you could be sending somebody for a case study or a guest post, and product for feedback or beta testing, engineering to help kind of maybe set up an environment for really hard bug replication, and so on and so forth. So. That's a really interesting way to think of DevRel, less as a single metric for a single org challenge, but maybe like the one system that connects all the tissue of all the rest of the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've heard a couple people, and I think Matt, you've been one of them over the years, kind of refer to DevRel as that connective tissue, right? We're the, we're the glue that holds everything together. 
because we so often are communicating across teams and working across teams to make sure that everyone's informed or everyone has the information, making sure that we're collecting information from different teams and then able to go back to product and go, cool, here's what we've learned from these different places. We're adding in the community aspect as well. Here's kind of the holistic picture of what's going on. And it's such a key part of a successful business I have found. And it's so much, I think it's part of the reason why we have a hard time defining what it is exactly that we do (laughs) because, you know, we're part advocate, we're part translator, we're part marketing, we're part product feedback. Like we do so many different things that are all so valuable. And so being that kind of connective tissue is the way that it kind of pulls everything back together. If you understand well, DevRel looks like a kind of meta metrics. If you also consider the fact that some communities, ecosystems have come up with a policy or a kind of practice where they captured some of the the technical details. Like for example, OpenStack has what they call the cycle highlights. Those kind of activity is really like showing a technical pictures to marketers. What's the second highlight exactly for people less familiar? During a cycle, release cycle, they always try to make the new features that have been added, what the, 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 how the features will look like, what have been added and things. They try to abstract, they remove all the technical complexities to make it for like marketers and public relations to see the picture from a different perspective. Brilliant. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm just trying to wonder if uh, this kind of difference is this kind of meta metrics, the metrics that captures different form of metrics and try to present it in a different to a different audience. I definitely think that's part of it and it's this is one of those areas where it gets interesting because depending on the company, I could see that as something that falls under developer relations, but it could also be product marketing, it could also be product management. And so I think there's so much overlap that it, it's, it really depends on, you know, is that getting fulfilled by someone right now? Is it getting fulfilled in a way that is successful and that people are finding value out of it? And if so, great, like keep, keep doing that. Right. One of the interesting things that I've had a lot of conversations around is this idea of like, well, but you know, is DevRel then just kind of stealing pieces from marketing or stealing pieces from product and kind of like it's a hodgepodge job that, you know, could be fulfilled by all of these different departments. And I can see that argument, but I think the thing that sets DevRel apart is that all of these other departments have different goals and different priorities, right? Product, product management is to make sure that, you know, we're keeping on track with our roadmap that the roadmap is full of things that are going to bring the, the audience value for marketing. Generally, if it's, if it's fully awareness and demand gen focused, it's how do we get as many leads as possible back to sales? And DevRel has some of those focus areas, right? Like we want to make sure that the value uh, or that the product roadmap is highlighting things that are going to be valuable for the community. We want to make sure that people are aware of our products, but we have as our primary goal, the benefit for the community in mind. We want to make sure that everything that we're doing is beneficial for the community. And so by having that number one goal there, it gives us this very interesting lens with which to view our work because we can really say, you know, cool, 
that cycle update? Like, is that being done at all? Right. Is it, is it being handled by somebody? Yes or no. If it is, is it being handled well? Yes or no. If it's not, is there a way that we can contribute to kind of offer guidance or is it something we should take over entirely? Like maybe there's, we can write a, a standards guide or something like that, that helps people understand here's the, the valuable information. And so it's kind of this choose your own adventure at times to figure out like, where should this particular work task live and who is most equipped to handle it? Let's face it, your code is going to have errors. Even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single, easy to use platform, saving you time and cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code, so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also let you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. As a ChaosCast listener, get 30% off for 6 months. Simply mention ChaosCast when you sign up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. So Mary, we've talked about the role of DevRel and some of the metrics that work well for this role in being the glue that ties everything together and some of the metrics that don't work as well. What is your thought around this whole notion of the unintended consequences of metrics or measurement? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. This is a hot topic always. (laughs) I love this phrasing of it because I think so often we complain, we as DevRel professionals sometimes complain about the metrics that we are given because we don't think that they're valuable, but we don't necessarily dig deep enough to be able to articulate what the unintended consequences are. So one great example of this is years ago, a team that I was on was tasked with, you know, we have to attend X number of meetups per month, period. Like new rule, we have to do this thing. And this is a a metric that we're going to be measured against. And as someone who is helping lead the strategic side of the team, I kind of went, okay, but why? (laughs) Like, are we trying to meet new people? Are we trying to get feedback from the audience? Are we trying to engage with people more? Like, what's the purpose? And everything kept coming back to just like, well, we just, we need to be out in the community more. So we need to attend a minimum of six meetups per month. It was like, okay, well, but, but what do you want us to get out of this? And so I think sometimes, especially, and there's, there's a couple different times when I've seen metrics that shouldn't necessarily be passed down. One of them, and one of the most common ones, I think for a lot of people is when the person who is leading your team doesn't understand the true value of developer relations, and they're desperately trying to take something back to upper management. So it's like, well, but what's a tangible number that I can say 
you know, the DevRel team has done X in the last three months. And being able to say, you know, hey, the DevRel team in Q2 attended 30 meetups. Like, all right, cool. But the problem with that is anytime that gets above a certain level of management, the managers are going to start to ask like, well, but why? Like, what's, what's the point? What are you getting out of that? Like having that just basic, we have done X is not enough. And so something that I always go back to is you have to have a story that your metrics line up with. And when I say a story, I don't mean we're making up lies that then, you know, we fudge the numbers to make it go a particular way. But Matt, I know this is something you and I have talked about for years now, (laughs) right? That like you ask questions, you figure out what questions are important and what you need to be asking. You then figure out, hey, I think I have a hypothesis in this particular direction. We're going to try this thing because that'll either answer the question or it won't. But the metrics one way or another will add to this story of, hey, so in Q2, the DevRel team attended 30 meetups in these particular regions, which led to this much more traffic on the website, or we met this many people or got this much feedback. We contributed in these ways, right? We've, we can now successfully say we have increased awareness by 300% or whatever it is, but being able to not just say, here's the work output, but here's the actual implications of that. And most importantly, here's how it's building up to and contributing to the main overarching goals that the company has. And that's, that's the biggest thing. Because if you can say, you know, hey, we wrote eight blog posts and attended three conferences and spoke at four events in this quarter, like, cool, great. But if someone doesn't understand what that actually means and what the end result of that is, they aren't going to care and they aren't going to understand what the value is that you're contributing. Yeah, absolutely. So well said. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we're continually pushed for, mm -hmm, and so what, who cares? What was the larger ROI of that activity? Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite conversations with a client a couple of years ago when I was doing some freelance consulting was, you know, their team was getting all of these like, well, but you have to do X and you have to do, you know, these, these amount of these things every quarter. And I was like, look, you have a three-year-old daughter, pretend like you're her when you're having these conversations with your boss, like ask why, and don't stop asking why until you get an answer that actually makes sense to you (laughs) because it doesn't work otherwise. Like there are times when you have to be like, okay, I hear you, but why? And do it respectfully, of course. But like, we need to start getting our upper management to understand that it's not enough just to say, cool, we now have to attend six meetups. And if you can't get a good answer from upper management, and I think this is something that we're kind of on the brink of people starting to do, but we need to do far more of. If upper management refuses to give you that answer of here's why you need to attend those six meetups, come up with them yourself. (laughs) Figure out like, cool, management doesn't care. They just want me to attend six meetups. Great. Here's how I'm going to figure out what six meetups are worth attending every month. Here's how I'm going to figure out how to document the value that we got out of them. Here's how I'm going to figure out how to shape and craft that story at the end of the quarter so that, you know, hey, we attended 20 meetups. And also, like, we checked that box for you, but that's not all we did. Here's the other things that came as a result of that. 
because that's management's going to respect that and also start to see they can't just give you that base metric of here's what you have to do. That's a really, really interesting point, Mary. It's almost like you can use the arbitrary metric as a Trojan horse for the metrics you're trying to drive. So like, let's substitute community qualified lead into that. You're like, all right, well, I have to go to 20 meetups. Well, okay, team, like, let's break this up. I'm going to focus on getting beta testing for the next release at these meetups. And you're going to focus on finding case studies at these meetups. And at the end, we'll be able to show the stack of really healthy and helpful handoffs we've had through these CQLs by going to these events, you know, at the risk of having to go to 20 events next month too, but at least you showed some, you know, additional layer of value as opposed to just that like top layer proxy that doesn't quite make sense. Absolutely. And in an ideal world, then your management sees, oh, okay, it's not really the meetups that matter. It's also the leads that matter more. Figure out a way to get more of those leads. Doesn't have to be at the meetups, right? That's hopefully, maybe someday down the road. (laughs) So how does the management measure your success and how do you also evaluate your performance? That's a great question. So much this. I'm going with the the friggin' cross. Yeah, full full jab and cross right there. Seriously. So there's a couple different things. I mentioned this earlier, but for my team specifically, everything has to come back to what are our overarching goals as a team? Then how do those overarching goals apply back to the success of the company? So it is very, very rare that I will ever approve one of my direct employees to do something that doesn't go up to those main points, right? And the main reason behind that is because I don't want them wasting their time. Like if they can't come to me and say, cool, this blog post fulfills this reason and does these things and fulfills this need. Like why, but why are we doing that? So to me, it's, it's somewhat less about the actual numerical metrics, but it's, it's more about, you know, why are we doing the work that we're doing? I'm a little bit lucky in that, that we aren't necessarily, our, our team's success isn't judged on, you know, hey, have you grown awareness by 400% and have you driven website traffic by X number per, you know, people per month, which is awesome. But there's always in the back of my mind that that might be coming down the road. So there's a lot of that that, you know, I try and plan for. There's things like an internal repository of all of our developer content that's you know created by my team as well as other people but it's valuable for us as we're trying to answer questions in the forum it's valuable for our sales team our technical sales team as they're trying to find more information for prospects it's valuable for marketing as they're trying to figure out you know where are the gaps in content that we need to fill and so trying to do projects like that 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 are proving our value internally and showing people here's the value that we're bringing it's not just you know we're not only externally facing, we're also doing things internally that, that make it easier for our teammates and our coworkers. It doesn't entirely answer your question because it's not strictly metrics-based, but, but the performance side of it, I really think it's key to, to show that you're, the work that you're doing is contributing not only externally, but internally as well. And we really have to have both of those in mind. It's a powerful point. Yeah, it, it may be a mix of sounds like a mix of experimentation, of knowing your stakeholders, the internal ones, and communicating the value to connecting with external stakeholders. It's it's not for the faint of heart. It sounds like quite a lot of mapping of different business needs and practices. And 
you know, I, I know that firsthand as well. And it's kind of fun to just be in a marketing unit for once and, you know, have clearer metrics. But Nicole, you had a great point on connecting this to what we do at Chaos. What did you want to jump into? Absolutely. So yeah, Mary, one of the things that I love to ask our guests is what would you like to see from the Chaos Project? So I work within, I think I, I didn't mention this in the intro, I work within the DNI or the Diversity and Inclusion Workgroup on the Chaos Project, right? So we're focused on establishing a consistent set of metrics for DNI across open source communities that would be helpful. From a DevRel perspective, what do you see or how do you see the Chaos Project being helpful in doing that same thing from a DevRel perspective? So I think a lot of the work that you all are doing with Chaos and with the metrics there is that it provides kind of that foundational layer of what are the things that we need to be aware of in order to then inform those stories that we're telling for the the value that we're producing as a team. So there's a lot of the, you know, the, the community health metrics and things like that that I've dug into over the last few years now for sitting there going, okay, but which of these are we actually exploring, right? Which of these are we actually looking into? And there's sometimes when some of it's not relevant for our project and that's fine, but being able to have that access to like, here's the things that we're watching, here's the things that we're looking at. And then as we get questions from our coworkers or people across the community, right? We can go back and go, okay, cool. We have all of these metrics laid out already. I'm not necessarily going to use that in my quarterly report, but you know, I can use those metrics to then shape that, that information that we're giving back to our, my, my upper management or externally to the community to say, Hey, you know, we've, we've grown in these ways. We've helped in these ways. We want to support you better because of these things that we're seeing. Cool. Thanks. I'd be also remiss not to pitch that in the value working group, we're attempting constantly to find like, what are people using as their metrics of success? And DevRel is forever a challenging one to tackle, but that's all the more reason to ask the right questions and, and try to document the, the type of work you're doing so well, Mary. So thank you for sharing what you do publicly. That way we can all learn a lot more from it. With that point, it, I think we got a really good cross-section of DevRel, of DevRel metrics, what works well and what doesn't. We roll into the back part of every one of our podcasts. We cover our picks for the week. Just something fun that was on the top of our mind. It doesn't have to be tech or metric related or open source. And we love to start with our guest. So Mary, what's your pick? Sure. I've got two, if that's okay. The first is open source related and the second is not. So I'll start with the open source related one. I have been digging into, and I'll admit, I just barely have started digging into it, but an awesome new book called Working in Public by Nadia Eggball. And I might have butchered the pronunciation of her last name, and I apologize if I did. But it's all about maintaining open source projects, creating open source projects. And it's really, it's split into a couple different sections, partly for the creation, partly for the maintenance, and goes through not only some of the history of open source and how we've gotten to where we are now, but kind of how to keep it healthy in the future. 
how to make sure that we're taking care of people who are maintaining those, how to pass off maintenance and things like that. It's just, it's a great, a great resource. And I'm excited. It's one that I'm going to pass off to my team. So I'm excited to see what they think about it as well. My second one, if for any of you out there who are into video games, is a video game called Horizon Zero Dawn. It is beautiful. And I don't say that lightly. It is, I am not a huge gamer, but it is one of the most gorgeous video games I think I've ever seen. It's a cool mix of exploration. They actually have like just a story mode that you can play if you don't want to deal with any of the shooting of the metal creatures that you come across. Trying to say things without giving too much of the storyline away, but it's got a fantastic story. It's absolutely gorgeous and it's been fun to to dig into lately. So definitely enjoying that. Great. Armstrong, how about yourself? Yeah. So if you look at my background, you'll see a cartoon picture, Ozzy. It's a little cartoon girl. I don't know if you guys have ever watched any of the episodes. She explains discoveries, innovations, those great innovations you could think of in basic language. Kids can even understand what is happening. So I'm trying to learn how to practice and to keep these kind of things, to bring complex ideas and explain it to babies. So that's my challenge. <laughs> I love that. that. That's fantastic. A beautiful goal and a great, great goal for us all to explain things eloquently and to the point. Very cool, Armstrong. Nicole? Yeah, that is very cool. So I have a couple as well. So in the last two weeks before my son went back to school, we took a bit of a break and went off the grid a bit. And so mine are a little bit off the grid. But we did a couple of audiobooks as we were driving out to these various locations. And one is IMC3PO, and it's narrated by Anthony Daniels. And it was so wonderfully done. I was really taken by this audiobook. We were driving out to Sisters in the Bend area as we were listening to it. And then the other one is called A Famous Dog's Life, and it's about Gidget, the Taco Bell dog. And our family is considering getting a new dog, an, an older puppy. And I, she gives, it's told, it's narrated by the trainer, by Gidget's trainer. And it just, that one is, is very beautifully done too. So anyway, we're just having lots of fun with audiobooks over here, but yeah, it's been a great time. That is so fun. And to round us out, I want to recommend the research of George Lakoff and he's prolific author but also a neuroscientist who got into talking about the metaphors that kind of build up our neural anatomy. He found this connection between these very metaphorical ways of thinking and the literal patterns we have in our mind for them. Uh, He applies it to political theory in a way that's really helped me try to understand the world. But if you want to stay away from that part and just enjoy just absolutely fascinating understanding of the human mind and how it actually works, Metaphors We Live By is a really great read. I'm just like slowly going through his, his library of books and it's, it's really, really fun. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Super really neat. Does. Well, very inspirational as always when it comes to the picks. And Mary, thank you so much for teaching us about DevRel today. Nicole and Armstrong, always a pleasure to record with you. And thank you listeners for joining us today. 
To stay up to date with future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And if you have ideas for the future, be sure to email us podcast at chaos.community. Thanks for being part of the chaos community and we'll see you next time. Bye all.